Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks. Hey, thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. It's always a delight to be able to speak with people who have um, just a tenacious attitude to grow, who are willing to get out of their comfort zone. Uh, so I'm so appreciative. And again, thank you to all of you that go out of your way to uh, let others know about the podcast. The podcasts uh, have become a tool that literally is being used all over the world. And I'm so thankful for those of you that have extended uh, the message about the podcast. Hey, today I want to talk to you about leading when you have to say no. Leading when you have to say no. One of the things that I found early on in leadership is this, is that no one expects you to do everything, but everyone expects you to do their thing. See, in your organization, no one expects you to do everything that everyone says. But I found that a lot of times people do expect you to do the thing that they thought of and the thing that they've said. And with that being true, uh, it just brings up a reality, and that is the struggle of the consumer mindset. And especially if you do what I do, you're in a nonprofit and it involves attracting people. Uh, the struggle with the consumer mindset is this, uh, say yes or I will leave. And so, so many people will come to an organization like mine and they come with the mindset, well, I need this, I have to have this. And the idea is if you don't offer that, if you don't stop and do exactly what I want you to do when you want it to do, then I'm not going to leave. And all of us that are in a gravitational pull where we don't have finances being the basis whereby we keep people, but it's just their voluntary interaction with our organization, uh, it's very, very tempting to say yes to things that you really do need to say no to. And as a result of that, for most nonprofits, they end up in this uh, drift and that drift is you end up saying yes to too many things, and pretty soon you don't have uh, the manpower, you don't have the time, you don't have the ability to do all the things that people are asking you to do. Uh, and that's one of the struggles. How do you lead when you have to say no? Uh, but what's interesting is, is the Bible is filled with leaders who had to say no. Uh, one of the most pronounced leaders is Moses. Uh, Moses, we know from the uh, writings of Hebrews that he had to say no to the wealth of Egypt for him to fulfill something that was the destiny, uh, the plan that God had for him. And as a result, his whole initiation and journey of leadership was going to be his capacity to say no to something that most people would say yes to. We also realize that in the Old Testament, Abraham, when he was approached by the king of Sodom and the king of Sodom made a request of him uh, that Abraham had to say no. He had to say no to the opportunity to let possessions be more important to people. And as a result of that, he had to say no. And so throughout the Bible, we're given illustrations of people saying no, what they said no to and really why they said no to it, and the implications of uh, the results of saying no. So let's just start off uh, with 10 cases of leaders who had to say no. 
Well, if we're going to use the Bible as our basis, there's no better place to start than saying Jesus. Uh, Jesus had to say no. Uh, One of the things that we see was that when Jesus commits his ministry, it started with great results. In fact, the results were so impactful that there was a city and a group of people who came to him and said, why don't you just stay here? Why don't you uh, just minister here? Your ministry is so impactful. It is so powerful. Just stay here. And Jesus said to them, no. He said, I'm sent to the other cities also. And if you take that illustration just really and unpack it, one of the things that you find out is many times you're going to have to say no to things that are successful. You're going to have to say no to things that really did work, and you're going to have to say no. I've mentioned this before from a pure business standpoint, that the Harvard School of Business years and years ago uh, talked about why certain successful businesses end up failing, and they said that it was because they failed to implement a principle called planned abandonment. Now, planned abandonment was an interesting uh, business initiative that basically propagated this thought that if you were going to be successful in business, you cannot keep doing everything you're doing, uh, whether it's successful or not. In fact, they came up with a mathematical formula and said if a business didn't drop each year 20% of what they had done the year before, they wouldn't have the bandwidth to be able to succeed in the coming year. And eventually, uh, the weight of everything that they were doing would pull them out of their moments of success. And so planned abandonment was just the principle of saying, okay, what is it that we need to quit doing? What is it we need to say no to? What is it that maybe we drifted into, but now we need to look and we need to say no to? And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Um, He realized that what had happened in this particular city was very, very positive. He realized that the request that they were making would be a realistic request from people who were receiving ministry. He realized that it was a good idea, but he also understood that a good idea does not equate to a God idea. And because it was a good idea, it wasn't necessarily a God idea. He had to say no. Now, what's interesting to me is he began his ministry by saying no to people. He began his ministry by saying no to something that was successful. He began his ministry by saying no to something where there was evident fruit. And many times, those are the default mechanisms. We think, well, this is working. This is fruitful. People like it. Therefore, we're going to keep saying yes. But if you're going to have the biblical pattern that Jesus set out, there are times when you're going to have to just say no. So Jesus had to say no to ministry moments that people loved and that people liked, and he had to say no to that. Another illustration is Nehemiah in the Old Testament. We know that Nehemiah was sent by God to rebuild the wall around the temple in the Old Testament that had been destroyed. And because the walls were down around the city, uh, they were constantly being victimized. They had no uh, opportunity to defend themselves or to defend the city and eventually the temple. So uh, what happened was Nehemiah went back to rebuild the wall around the city. But 
as he did that, uh, there were people who wanted to stop the rebuilding of the wall, but they were very, very um, subtle in how they wanted to do that. They kept sending word to Nehemiah that they need to meet with him. And Nehemiah kept sending word back, I will not stop what I'm doing. I will not stop the work that is being done. And to me, it's an interesting uh, crossover for us in our society. He basically said uh, no to meetings that did not matter. Now, one of the things that we're taught in business is that about a third of all the time that people spend in meetings involve meetings that don't matter. They involve people that don't need to be in the meeting. They involve spending time in meetings that aren't going to be productive. And so Nehemiah uh, sets that template of saying no to unnecessary meetings. No, I do not need to be in that long meeting. No, I do not need to be a part of that meeting. No, I do not need everyone in that meeting. No, if I stop and I go to all the meetings, I will never get the work done that I'm supposed to do. And many people are overwhelmed because their day is packed with meetings. And it's packed with meetings uh, that do not matter. And Nehemiah had to lead by saying no. He had to say no to meetings that did not make a difference, to meetings that did not matter. And boy, if there's any relevant um, lesson, uh, that is a lesson uh, that, that had to be a part of what was going on in Nehemiah's day, and it reflects directly on the day in which we live. A third group were the disciples. Um, and, and this was sort of Jesus again saying no. Uh, this was Jesus saying no to doing everything himself. He knew that for ministry to propagate, he knew that for there to, it to be prolific, that he had to say, no, I'm not going to do everything myself. No, I'm not going to be in every room myself. I'm not going to do all ministry myself. I'm not going to try to accomplish everything myself. He said no to doing everything himself. And so what did he do? He found the 12. He invested in them. He said, I'm going to send you out. You're going to go on my name. You're going to be my representatives. When you go on my name, uh, you will represent me. And then after he did the beta test of the 12, he then sent out 70 others. And they too went out in his name. And then ultimately, he's going to have 120 in the upper room. So we see this progression of saying no. I'm not going to do everything myself. I'm going to send out 12. I'm going to send out uh, 70. I'm going to have 120. And from there, it literally became thousands. But uh, with the disciples saying no to doing everything himself. Uh, as we mentioned uh, at the very beginning, Moses, uh, to lead effectively, he had to say no. And when he had to say no, he had to say no to status. See, he was born as an Israelite, but he was raised as an Egyptian. He had that um, conflict on the inside of him, which was what he was born to be and what he was offered to be. And in everyone's life, we're born to be something that God intended for us to be, but there's opportunities to be other things. And the other things are just simply this. Um, he had the opportunity to be the next in line in power, in Egypt, he had the opportunity uh, to uh, maybe let his faith be secondary to his status. But what did he do? Uh, he said 
no to status. He said no to all the uh, treasures of Egypt, all the favor of Egypt, all the opportunities of Egypt. And um, one of the things he did was he said no. Now, here's the deal. When he said no, if he would have said yes to status, that was going to be all about him. But when he said no to status, his life immediately became about others. And all of us are going to have to say no to opportunities that are self-serving so that we can serve others. See, everyone serves in life. It's just a question of whether you're going to be self-serving or you're going to serve others. And what the Bible asks us to do is to go beyond being self-serving and to go out of our way to serve others. So serving others looks like this. Sometimes we're going to stay, say no to things that make our lives better, that make us more comfortable, that make us uh, more legitimized in the eyes of others. But in the midst of that, what we do is we say no to status for us, serving us so that we can be in a position to serve others. Um, there's a fifth illustration, and that's Philip. Uh, Philip in the New Testament was one of the seven men that was chosen in Acts chapter 6 when there was sort of this heated moment where uh, the Greeks were upset that they felt like they were becoming second-place citizens in the structure of the church and that some of the people, especially the widows, the ladies uh, of, of, of Grecian background, were being neglected. And as a result of that, the uh, disciples decided to get together and pray. And what they did was they said, choose out seven people of good report. And one of those was Philip. But here's the deal. Whenever you're faithful in one place, God promotes you to another. And so Philip is going to cease being a deacon and he's going to become an evangelist. And as an evangelist, what's going to happen is this, is he's going to go to a place called Samaria. Remember, Jesus said, uh, clearly that you're to be witnesses up to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Well, Samaria was sort of like uh, one of those no-fly zones. You didn't go there. That wasn't where a good uh, Jewish person went. So what did God do? He sent a Greek person there. And the Greek person went there uh, without the racial bias, and God used him uh, to begin to start a revival. And it says in Acts chapter 8, it says that uh, hearing and seeing the miracles that were done. Before that, it says preaching Christ unto them and hearing and seeing the miracles. And it talks about how all Samaria in their region was just exploding uh, for Christ, that there was just this explosive opportunity for Christ to be preached. And it talks about people were hearing about miracles, but they were seeing the miracles firsthand. And then we see something odd. Here's Philip in the middle of one of the most tremendous revivals since the day of Pentecost. And there God tells him, hey, Philip, I want you to get up and leave. Man, I'm telling you, that's counterintuitive. In our day in which we live, we never leave the place where things are happening. If it's the go-to moment and things are going well, we stay there. We take all the selfies. We take all the, uh, the, the pictures. We make sure it's out on Instagram. We make sure it's out everywhere. Why? We want to seem good. We want to look good. We want to be good. But God doesn't think the way we do. And so God's going to ask Philip to say no to say no to a moment in the center of the light and to go over to a desert. 
So get this, a city, a desert, a revival, and nothing. And God's going to ask him to go. But what he's saying is, sometimes in your life, you're going to have to say no to success to say yes to significance. Now, again, success is what happens to you. Significance is what happens through you. But even moments of significance, there may be times when God wants to do something more significant through you. But God's math is so different than our math. And what's going to happen is he is going to ask him to leave to go to a desert. There, as he goes to the desert, he's literally uh, out there wondering, why in the world am I here? And he looks up and he sees a man uh, in a chariot reading the scrolls of Isaiah. Well, let me just tell you this. People didn't have scrolls of Isaiah. This wasn't like bringing it up on your, uh, your, your Bible app. A scroll of Isaiah was pretty, pretty massive. And he's sitting there and he's reading this. And as he reads it, uh, Philip walks up to him and says, do you understand what is being said there? And the guy looks at Philip and he says, I have no clue. And Philip explains it to him. And he leads that person to Christ. And he baptizes him in water. Well, what we know is this. Who he baptized was the treasurer and uh, the queen's court Candace of Ethiopia. And we know that this one man is going to go back and he is going to go back to Ethiopia and a revival is going to start there. Remember, this started with a revival in Samaria, but God told Philip to say no, to move on, even though significance was happening there, to go move and minister to one person. He goes and he ministers to that one person, and now this man's going to take a revival back to Ethiopia, and Ethiopia will become the first Christian nation in the history of mankind. And it's all because Philip said no. And that's what I want to say to you. Sometimes the math isn't going to make sense. The math would say, stay here. This is working. The math would say, this is the place. But every now and then, you have to look and you just have to say no. Another example in the Bible is a man named Daniel. And Daniel's just held up. We know biblically that he's held up as sort of this perfect individual because we're told about the good things. We're never told about any negative things. Uh, but Daniel is going to have to say no. And we know in Daniel chapter 1 that when he was taken with several other young Jewish men and he was taken to Babylon, that uh, he was asked to eat a certain way, live a certain way, conduct himself a certain way, and Daniel's going to stand up and he's going to say no. And the reason he's going to say no is that he understands that to do those things would be to alienate himself from a position that God has for him. And so it says uh, that he's going to purpose in his heart and he's going to say no. And because he says no, he's going to offer an alternative plan that's going to work out and it's going to position Daniel uh, into a position of saying, hey, you know what? Uh, this worked out. But Daniel's going to have to say no in an impossible circumstance because if he says no and it doesn't work out, his life's over with. He's forfeited everything. And so saying no to impossible decisions, saying no when it seems like there's only one decision, I got to say yes to this, I got to say yes to this. If I don't say yes to this, my life is over. But Daniel's going to be a person who says no. 
And what God's saying is, even when it looks impossible, there's always a choice. You can always say no to people and say yes to God. Regardless of what the ramification, the pressure, the circumstances, the event, you always say no to people and yes to God. As a part of those individuals that were taken to uh, Babylon, you have another illustration, and that is of the he- three Hebrew uh, boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And um, they are going to be an offered an opportunity to say yes to something they're going to have to say no to. And it's when a decree went out that if they didn't stop and bow their knees and worship the king, then what was going to happen, they were going to be put to death. And what we know is, is that they knew that they could not worship this king, that it was not right to worship, that there was only one person who deserved to be worshipped as God, and that was Jehovah. And as a result of that, they're going to say no. But what they're going to say no to is they're going to say no to a compromising moment, something that would have just compromised their faith. And I know there would have been legitimizing of the thought, well, if we say yes to this, God knows we really didn't mean it, and it's just the way that we can keep uh, being alive and affect the culture. But here was the deal. The three Hebrews had to say no to compromise. They had to say no to things that uh, just uh, were not going to be uh, able to elevate them in their relationship with God. And what we know is that they were thrown into uh, the fiery furnace, and we know that God was in them, that there was the fourth man and the fire who protected them. And as a result of that, uh, they said no to compromise, and what shows up is whenever we're committed to God, God's committed to us. And so they had to say no. Also, another example is Jacob in the Old Testament. He has a long history of ups and downs. But as his life begins to sort of uh, uh, hit a level spot there, uh, there is a time uh, when he is uh, literally going to be reunited with his brother and they are going to be marching and they're going to be marching fast and uh, he's going to say no. And what he's going to say no is if we keep moving at this speed, then the kids and the animals are going to be uh, worn out. And so in Jacob's place, he had to say no to an unhealthy pace, that even though other people were moving faster than him and maybe moving at a speed on the treadmill that was greater than him, he had to say no to that pace. He said, this isn't healthy for everyone I'm leading. Therefore, I'm going to back away. Yeah, you go on ahead. Yeah, you may be the first one there, but that's all right. I'm going to say no to an unhealthy pace. And how many of you realize that uh, we're offered that opportunity all the time in our organization? There's a time when we run, there's a time when we walk, and then there's a time when we walk slowly. That we have to find a pace that is appropriate to the organization that we lead and that we oversee. And so he's going to say no to an unhealthy pace. Um, Well, we also understand Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is going to be in a position where it says, Moses, my servant, is dead, therefore arise. And what Joshua's going to have to say no to is he's going to have to say no to the past. See, in the past, they were led uh, by uh, the cloud by day and the fire by night. In the past, they had uh, the quail and they had the manna. 
But now God's sitting there and saying, the past is over. You've got to move on from the past. And sometimes when you're a leader and you've raised in a certain environment and that's what you've seen, that's what you've known, that's what the people's known, it's easy to keep saying, well, we want the cloud. Well, we want the fire. Well, we want the manna. We want the quell. But God's saying, hey, there are times that even things that God did in the past, you have to say no to so you can embrace the future God has for you. And so that's going to happen to Joshua. And then uh, another example is in the Old Testament that Elijah, uh, when there is the miracle of Naaman uh, being healed, Naaman's going to offer him money and say, because of what's happened, I want to give you money. And Elijah's going to say no. He's going to look at him and he's going to say no. And he's going to say, hey, there's a time when you don't take money. There's a time when you do not take an offering. Wow, there's something you don't hear preached in Bible school. Someone offers me money. I I say no. Someone says, take up an offering. I say no. No, there's a time when you get it off the money dial and you get it purely back to God. So these are just a, a, a series of notes. And so Jesus uh, said no to a good idea that wasn't a God idea. Nehemiah said no to meetings that didn't matter. Uh, Jesus said no to doing everything himself, and he began to elevate the disciples. Moses said no to status, to self-service, and he began to serve others. Philip said no to success and significance so that something more significant could be done. Daniel said no to impossible decisions. Uh, The three Hebrew boys, they said no to a compromising moment. Joshua said no to the past, and Elijah said no to money. These are all places where leaders said no. And what I want to say to you is if you're going to lead, there are going to be moments when you are just going to have to say no. You're going to say, no, can't do that, won't do that, uh, can't do that. And if you're going to lead, you can't always say yes. You're going to have to lead by saying no. And that brings us to just some takeaways. If you study all of those takeaways, there are three things you're going to have to remember. It's how you say no. See, Daniel could have said no in a harsh way and it would have ended his life. Jesus could have said no at Capernaum and it could have just really devastated the future of the ministry. It's how you say no. It's not that you said no. And it's not just how you say no, it's when you say no. And so there are times when you have to say no and you need to say it as nicely as you can. You need to say it in a right way at a right time and it's why you say no. And so there are three things that are involved as a leader saying no. It's how you say no, it's when you say no, and it's why you say no. If you have answers to those three things, then you're in a position to say, I'm going to say no to this so I can do something else for God. This is just a simple lesson, but I do believe it's a powerful lesson for leaders because of the society in which we live in. People are always saying, if you say no to me, I'm not going to stick with you. But here's the truth. All of us at times will have to say no. We will have to say no to follow the will of God and the plan of God. 
Well, I hope this lesson helped you. Again, uh, we're traveling a whole lot. I'm doing a whole lot of roundtables. Uh, we have a roundtable literally coming up in the next couple of days in Rancho Cucamonga, California. If you're around that area, come out and visit us. We have another one that will be happening uh, next week, and that is in uh, Norcross, uh, Georgia. And we want to encourage you to come out. Uh, we have a lot of resources, and those resources can be found in Gerald Brooks Ministry. Uh, the book Snapshots of Faith is just an outstanding book. It deals with the three dimensions of faith. It deals with uh, triumphant faith, transformational faith, and transcending faith. And it's a verse-by-verse -verse study of Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have that, I think you will enjoy it a whole lot. Thank you again for uh, listening and joining us for the podcast today. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com.